This is Confessions of a Closet Romantic, a podcast where I talk about my favorite romantic movies, books, TV shows, and why I love them so much without embarrassment or shame. Well, mostly. This is Poppy, and in this episode, Orphaned Romance, Jane Eyre 2011. love anything Jane Eyre. That novel and Middlemarch and Wuthering Heights, they remind me of a survey of 19th century British literature I took in college. I adored every minute of that class. I think there were 12 or 13 huge novels assigned in that 16-week semester. So basically one massive English novel each week. And I remember getting to page 30 of, I don't know, 800 pages of Middlemarch thinking, I won't be able to do this. And I can remember where I was in my apartment, just a little light burning over my shoulder on the sofa reading through, and then the story just kicked in. I fell in love with Dorothea and the romance and all of the characters of that small English town. I adored the professor of this course, so I would have followed him anywhere. He was really handsome, bearded. I'm guessing maybe he was in his 40s. And when we discussed Jane Eyre, I remember him correcting the class that the character wasn't St. John, but Sinjin. And I wondered how he knew that. He would diagram the plots of the novels in chalk across a blackboard as wide as the room, with the story symbolism in little squares linked by lines like a flowchart. I wrote every detail of those flowcharts down in my notebook. And I always waited after class with a question. I didn't care that I looked like Little Miss Perfect, I couldn't stop thinking about these stories. I think I related to the orphan in Jane Eyre and the orphans in Charles Dickens because I felt like an orphan in my own family. It never occurred to me that it might seem like, what's the professor equivalent of a groupie? We'd start talking in the classroom as he packed up his briefcase And then I would walk with him clear across the campus, still talking about these books. I've watched many versions of the Jane Eyre story at this point, including that somewhat odd George C. Scott 1970s version. But I think I love this 2011 one the best. In case you haven't read it, Jane Eyre is a story about a woman who was orphaned as a very young child, and she was sent to live with an abusive aunt and her children. Then the abusive aunt worked with some other evil man to get her thrown into an institution for girls where she was terribly neglected and abused, physically and emotionally. But eventually she becomes a governess, which is her life-saving moment because she answers an ad for a job for a governess at Thornfield Hall. It's a grand country estate. She's going to be governess to the ward of the man who runs Thornfield Hall, and she eventually falls in love with this mysterious man. 
there is a lot more to the story and it is well worth reading. I recently found a copy of the book on Gutenberg.org, which is a great place to find old novels that you can read online. It's going to be really interesting to reread it at this point in my life. But if you can only watch, the 2011 version of this story is visually stunning. It is full of muted, earthy colors. And every time the characters are outside, the costumes seem to blend into the landscape. It kind of reminds you how elemental and close to nature these characters are of Mr. Rochester, the boss, and Jane Eyre, the governess. The indoor scenes are lit by candlelight and fire. They look so beautiful. And they're often shot against dark wood paneling. And it's as if the characters, again, are like against ground or mud. The sound design is layered and interesting, especially the spooky night sounds at Thornfield Hall. The way this movie is constructed shows that Jane's strength comes from her woundedness and her rich interior life, which I think is an accurate reflection of the novel. That kind of psychological story was pretty pioneering in the mid-19th century. So Jane has been at Thornfield Hall quite a few weeks as governess, but she hasn't met her boss, Mr. Rochester, formally yet. But he's intrigued by her, and one night he asks her to sit by the fire with him. They look directly at each other throughout this scene. He is taking advantage of the power difference, the age and class disparities, but she doesn't hesitate to meet his eyes as an equal. I've examined Adele and I find you've taken great pains with her. She's not bright, she has no talents. Yet in a short time she's improved. Thank you, Mr. Rochester. Been resident here three months? Yes, sir. And from whence do you hail? What's your tale of woe? Pardon? All governesses have a tale of woe. What's yours? I was brought up by my aunt, Mrs. Reed of Gateshead, in a house even finer than this. I then attended Lowood School, where I received as good an education as I could hope for. And I have no tale of woe, sir. Where are your parents? Dead. Do you remember them? No. Why are you not with Mrs. Reed of Gateshead now? She cast me off, sir. Why? Because I was burdensome and she disliked me. No tale of wool. I daily thank Providence for sending us, Miss Eyre. She's an invaluable... Don't trouble yourself to give her a character. I'll judge for myself. I've heard to thank for this sprain. Sir? You bewitched my horse. I did not. Were you waiting for your people on that lane? I have no people, sir. I mean for the imps and elves and little green men. The sad truth is they are all gone. Your land is neither wild nor savage enough for them. Michael Fassbender as Mr. Rochester and Mia Vasakovska as Jane Eyre are perfection to me. I love how they embody these characters and the qualities that they bring out and their chemistry together. 
I'm very picky about my Mr. Rochester's. Don't make him too gruff and remote or too sensitive and romantic, because to me, his character is quite maladjusted and bitter. And his transformation through his love for Jane, exactly as she is, is to me what makes the story so powerful. This movie doesn't over-romanticize Mr. Rochester. I mean, Michael Fassbender is fascinating, gorgeous, intriguing, but he seems to have more self-awareness about his flaws, which I think is in keeping with the book. I'll see as I reread. Oh, I'm also listening to the audiobook Mr. Rochester by Sarah Shoemaker. She imagines Mr. Rochester's backstory and how he came to be who he is. Oh, it's fascinating. And the narrator is dreamy. To me, the transformation in the story has to highlight the peculiar romantic partner that Rochester represents and Jane's choice to accept him. She leads with her heart because of the abuse in her past. She sees the wounded bird in him and herself and how they might heal each other. One partner transforming the other is one of my favorite romantic tropes. The second time Rochester and Jane Eyre speak, it's the first time they're really alone. What a different conversation from the first. It's intimate. He's dismissive and then self-pitying and selfish. But she doesn't break her glance and seems to look right into him. This is a long clip, but hang in there. There's a poetic end that foreshadows the romance to come. Your gaze is very direct, Miss Anne. Do you think me handsome? No, sir. What fault do you find with me? I have all my limbs and features. I beg your pardon, sir. I ought to have replied that beauty is of little consequence. You're blushing, Miss Anne. And though you're not pretty any more than I am handsome... I must say it becomes you. And now I see you're fascinated by the flowers on the rug. Come, speak to me. Fact is, Miss Eyre, I'd like to draw you out. Rather, look of another world about you. I don't wish to treat you as inferior. Yet you command me to speak. You're very hurt by my tone of command. There are a few masters who trouble to inquire whether their paid subordinates were hurt by their commands. Paid subordinate. I've forgotten the salary. Well, on that mercenary ground, will you consent to speak as my equal without thinking that the request arises from insolence? I'd never mistake informality for insolence, sir. One are rather like the other. Nothing freeborn should ever submit to. Humbug. Even for a salary. Most freeborn things would submit to anything for a salary. But I mentally shake hands with you for your answer. Not three in three thousand schoolgirl governesses would have answered me as you've just done. Then you've not spent much time in our company, sir. I'm the same plain kind of bird as all the rest. With my common tale of woe. I envy you. How? Your openness, your unpolluted mind. When I was your age, fate dealt me a blow. And since happiness is denied me, I have a right to get pleasure in its stead. And I will get it, cost what it may. 
Then you'll degenerate still more. Commissaire, if the pleasure I was seeking was sweet and fresh, if it was an inspiration, if it wore the robes of an angel of light, what then? To speak truth, sir, I don't understand you at all. I fear the conversation has got out of my depth. You're afraid of me? I'm not afraid. I've simply no wish to talk nonsense. If you never laugh, Monsieur. Only rarely, perhaps. But you're not naturally austere any more than I'm naturally vicious. I can see in you the glance of a curious sort of bird through the close-set bars of a cage, a vivid, restless captive. Were it put free, it would soar, cloud-eye. Mia Vasikovska's performance is so brilliant. Since the story's from first person, she finds a way on screen to reveal that interior life and Jane Eyre's thoughts without dialogue. She has a stillness in most of her scenes. Her neck stiffens when she disagrees with the point that Rochester makes. She makes little minute shaking movements to show high emotion. She lifts her chin to show backbone. And the intensity of her gaze is incredible. It's like the engine of every scene she's in. In another long but gorgeous clip, Jane starts to congratulate Rochester in the courtyard of Thornfield Hall on what she thinks is his marriage to a noblewoman. You can tell her conflicted emotions. She's falling for this man, but she knows that because of the disparity in class that there's really no hope. She sets off for a walk to gather her thoughts. And at the very bottom of the frame, you see her tiny figure crossing a bridge and almost getting to the other side, and then Rochester running to cross it and catch up with her. Thornfield is a pleasant place in spring, isn't it? Yes, sir. I'd be sorry to part with it. It's always the way with events in life. No sooner have you got settled than a voice cries, rise and move on. I'll find you a new situation, Jane, one I hope that you'll accept. I shall be ready when your order to march comes. Must I really lose a faithful paid subordinate such as yourself? You must. We've been good friends, haven't we? Yes, sir. I have a strange feeling with regard to you. As if I had a string somewhere under my left ribs, tightly knotted to a similar string in you. And if you were to leave, I'm afraid that cord of communion would snap. And I have a notion that I'd take to bleeding inwardly. As for you, you'd forget me. How? I have lived a full life here. I have not been trampled on. I have not been petrified. I have not been excluded from every glimpse of what is bright. I have known you, Mr. Rochester. And it strikes me with anguish to be torn from you. Then why must you leave? Because of your wife. I have no wife. But you are to be married. Jane, you must stay. I'm becoming 
I'm nothing to you. Am I a machine without feelings? Do you think that because I am poor, obscure, plain and little, that I am soulless and heartless? I have as much soul as you and full as much heart. And if God had blessed me with beauty and wealth, I could make it as hard for you to leave me as it is for I to leave you. I'm not speaking to you through mortal flesh. It is my spirit that addresses your spirit, as if we'd passed through the grave and stood at God's feet equal, as we are. As we are. I am a free human being with an independent will which I now exert to leave you. Then let your will decide your destiny. I offer you my hand, my heart. Jane, I ask you to pass through life at my side. You are my equal and my likeness. Will you marry me? Oh, it's so moving. I'll definitely post a link to this scene in the show notes. The scene ends with a storm, which signals what's to come. Oh my, a damaged man, battered by life, trying to persuade a wounded woman, also battered by life, to take a chance on love. Oh, the transformative power of love trope. That's romance. Okay, this story's been known for more than 150 years, so there are no spoilers here. But here it comes, in case you haven't read the story. After their horrible wedding, they end up in a sitting room and Rochester lights a fire. The match touching the kindling is in extreme close-up. What a fantastic symbol! The camera lingers on that dead, cold kindling, finally catching fire. And then Rochester tries to explain what happened. Each time Jane takes a moral stand, she can only break his gaze by lifting her chin towards the ceiling, like as if he has a pull through the eyeballs that she can barely break without moving her head. You can see she is so in love, but she will sacrifice everything for doing the right thing, which is secretly what Rochester loves about her, but he would dearly love to violate that for his own comfort. I know you, you're thinking. Talking is of no use to thinking how to act. All is changed, sir. I must leave you. No. No. Jane, do you love me? Then the essential things are the same. Be my wife. You have a wife. I pledge you my honor, my fidelity. You cannot. My love until death do us part. What of truth? I would have told you the truth. You are deceitful, sir. I was wrong to deceive you. I see that now. It was cowardly. I should have appealed to your spirit as I do now. some mere human law. 
I must respect myself. Listen to me. The story ends with a tragedy, but lots of love and happiness, too. I just love watching movies like this in the autumn with all of their wood fires and windswept moors and neglected people finding family. The story reminds me that we're all forged by life and made better by adversity, and we can all feel like orphans at times. But Jane uses her past and gets her happy ending by never running from who she is. Now that's a romance role model. Today in the phone confessional, it's about if Mr. Rochester and Jane Eyre were on Broadway in the 1920s, these are the songs they would sing. Okay, so you've heard me talking in past confessionals about the smart speaker jukebox I play each week with a variety of music obsessions. Lately, it's been Oh Lady Be Good and Someone to Watch Over Me. These were written by the Gershwins, and to me, the ultimate versions are sung by Ella Fitzgerald. Okay, I can't believe how appropriate these lyrics are for the Jane Eyre story. Okay, stick with me. In my little fancy, I picture Mr. Rochester singing, Oh, Lady, Be Good. Listen to my tale of woe. That is a line right out of the movie. It's terribly sad but true. All dressed up, no place to go. Each evening, I'm awfully blue. Oh, sweet and lovely lady, be good. Oh, lady, be good to me. I'm so awfully misunderstood. So, lady, be good to me. Oh, please have some pity. I'm all alone in this big city. I tell you, I'm just a lonesome babe in the wood. So, lady, be good to me. Okay, then I picture Jane singing someone to watch over me. There's a somebody I'm longing to see. I hope that he turns out to be someone who will watch over me. I'm a little lamb who's lost in the wood. I know I could always be good to one who'll watch over me. Although he may not be the man some girls think of as handsome, to my heart he carries the key. Am I right, people of romance? Email and let me know. Confessions of a Closet Romantic at gmail.com. Somebody I'm longing to see. I'd love to feature your confession on the podcast. Tell me about your favorite romantic movie, TV show, book, and why you love it so much. Just record a voice memo on your phone, click share, and email to confessions of a closet romantic at gmail.com. Don't forget to let me know if you want your confession to be private or shared. I can't wait to hear about your obsession. Any sound effects you hear are courtesy of the good people at freesound.org under a Creative Commons license. Find show notes with links to what I've been babbling about at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. 
It was so nice to have your company. Until next time, wishing you shame-free romance.